Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant soldiers of the cross. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you for uh, the new listeners that have joined us. Man, I don't know what's been going on this week. I think it's some of the guests we've been having on the podcast that's uh, stirring up a whole new audience. So welcome to Stand Up For The Truth. We have another great guest today. I can't wait to get to and talk about some really crucial issues. Father, thank you for giving us another hour, another day of life, of meaning. I know you give us purpose every day we're alive, Lord. Lead us, Father. You promised to complete the work that you began in each one of us as believers in Christ. We know our citizenship is ultimately in heaven, but we have a dual citizenship and responsibility here to live and speak the truth in love and to engage culture and to be salt and light. Oh, God, forgive us for our, our failures in that area. In Jesus' name, help us be unashamed of the gospel of Christ. Please stir us up, Lord. The country could go in one of two different directions here in a couple weeks, God, and we need your people to be speaking the truth challenging other people who call on the name of Christ and claim they are Christians. Lord, give us wisdom, give us love, patience, and self-control in these conversations. And we just ask that people would be challenged and encouraged today. We know that you've given us a hope in Christ that is an anchor to our soul, and we thank you for that, God. We thank you for your sovereignty and your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, excited to have another brother and soldier in Christ, Reverend Bill Cook, founder and executive director of Black Robe Regiment of Virginia. It is a clergy-led movement of the Christian Minutemen, actively committed to restoring the foundations of liberty in America and the pulpit's founding legacy. And we welcome you to the program, Bill. Thank you so much for taking the time with us this morning. Great. It's good to be with you. All right, Bill. Um, first of all, the breaking news before we get into your background, the Black Robe Regiment in Virginia. Um, Donald Trump and Melania Trump both tested positive for COVID. We got this announcement early hours this morning. So that's some breaking news. Now, the left is going to love this. The Democrat media is going to say, see, we told you not to do all those rallies and be around so many people and whatever else. But I just would love to get your take on this and how we should approach this. Obviously, pray for the healing and the strengthening of our president. Yes. Well, uh, David, I, I feel that, um, that our that the country, our country has made access to um, hydroxychloroquine, chloroquine, which is a great treatment, a great um, prophylactic for preventing uh, COVID-19 that is being withheld from the American people for really wrong reasons. Yes. I think it's, I think it's to keep the, uh, the COVID, um, uh, lie alive. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, and, but I think the president will have access to those things. So, okay, good. Yeah. I was just with talking to my rider about staying in the car. So I'm going to do that. Oh, so it should be fun. Okay. Um, the good news is vice president Pence and, uh, his wife, Karen, they did, they both, uh, tested negative for COVID-19 vice president Wonderful. Pence. He gets tested every day. And he remains in good health. Uh, we all wish uh, the Trumps well in their uh, recovery, the treatment. We pray that it's a speedy recovery. Those of us who, are, who really are concerned about this country and the upcoming election, we already know there will be f- voter fraud. We already know there will be cheating. We already know millions of Americans stay home and don't vote, which we will get to possibly in the next segment, Bill. But I want to get a little bit about, uh, about your background. Um, the Virginia... Black Robe Regiment. Now, we just had Dan Fisher on a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and we talked about the history. Um, we didn't get enough in, in in an hour, what we could squeeze in, what's going on in the country. But what brought you down this path? I know you were in ministry before jumping into this battle and raising awareness and the history of the Black Robe Regiment. 
Well, you know, it, I'll tell you what, having four, five children, uh, three boys and two girls, you really begin to appreciate why God said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Uh, when you, and, you know, in the Declaration of Independence, it says um, to secure, it ends with securing the blessings of liberty hmm. to ourselves and to our posterity. If you don't have a posterity, you're not nearly as concerned about the next generation, what they're going to live through and experience. But in my case, I was I love my children dearly. I love them with my life. And so I, I could see what was happening in America during the, first, the two terms of Barack Obama. And I realized something was desperately needed mm. to uh, turn things around. And it wasn't getting done. And I, I did not know about the Black Robe Regiment, the history thereof at that time. But I was watching the Glenn Beck program one night and saw David Barton interviewed about the Black Robe Regiment. And he started talking about it. And I heard things that were so amazing to me that I got, I got very excited about the idea of clergy in our day stepping up and playing a lead role in restoring liberty in this country. Yes. And so I decided to start uh, the Black Robe Regiment of Virginia. Now it's kind of become something a little bit broader because there's other people, other pastors in other states that are asking to get involved and will start chapters or whatever, whatever they're going to be called within their own, within their own states. And so... Um, that, you know, I, I thought if clergy were that instrumental in the founding of America, then, you know, they need to be instrumental again. They need to step up. And the whole idea, I saw it, separation of church and state as a fraud, and it is a fraud. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been the most destructive piece of legislation ever cast in, in this country's history, in my opinion, because all of the things that we're dealing with today are really a result of the silence of the pulpits. I really want to emphasize that point. We've been talking about this for years, but we've got a lot of new listeners tuning in, and what you just said, I agree 100% that uh, the responsibility lies with church leaders and pastors who have, well, we kind of backed out of culture um, 50, 75 mm -hmm. years ago, but you referenced the Johnson Amendment and that piece of legislation that would threaten churches, nonprofits, for speaking about political issues, specifically endorsing candidates. And uh, Lyndon Johnson, who, interestingly enough, Bill, he had anti-communist groups coming against him at the time in 1964 or 65. And anti-communist groups, why would they look at Lyndon Johnson as a socialist or a communist? Well, maybe they had good reason. But, uh, you know, the big, the great society and legislation and, and the federal government just ballooned after that. But one of the things he passed was the Johnson Amendment, and that, to this day, there are religious leaders and pastors who are very ignorant about what that actually says, but no church has ever been fined or sued or have lost their nonprofit status, from what I understand. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that um, I think we need to do it regardless of the Johnson Amendment. You know, I, I don't take the 501c3 deduction. I never applied to be a nonprofit. Hmm. because I don't want to come under any government control or scrutiny in what I do and what, what pastors do. Wow. So um, we work with pastors like Matt Trujillo up in, I believe it's Wisconsin, who essentially he, he teaches pastors how to take their churches out of out from under the Johnson Amendment. And I think that um, it, it, it absolutely has to happen. You know, uh, um, wisdom is justified by its children, the things it begets, and so is um, a lack of wisdom. It's it's just it's 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 uh, confirmed by the things that it begets as well. And so the Johnson Amendment has begun nothing bad has begot nothing but bad fruit. Mm -hmm. Abortion. Yes. Now we have rampant sodomy, gender uh, modification. All these things have all come. It's it's amazing after the Johnson Amendment. And so uh, we, we need to turn around and remember that in the history of America that pastors preached political sermons mm -hmm. for 100, 200 years, or actually more than 200 years in this country before the Johnson Amendment. And all of a sudden it just stopped, yep. to, in, to my way of looking at it. Yep. And that needs, to, that needs to end. We're teaching pastors that they have a sacred duty to preach an election sermon, at least one election sermon in advance of every election, that no election is, um, is, is, is opted out. You need to do that. You need to teach your people a biblical worldview so that they understand how they need to behave politically. You know, Paul said, follow me as I follow the Lord. And what I've, what I've been saying is, 
uh, Pastor, tell your people to follow you into the voting booth as you follow Jesus into the voting booth. Mm. And that's what needs to happen if we're going to see this culture turned around and saved. It's not a fait accompli that the country gets destroyed. Um, we have the power as the church to do something about it, and we need to do it. And that one of the most one of the most simple things to do, if you want to fight abortion, if you want to fight rampant sodomy, if you want to fight the perversion of our education system, turning it into an indoctrination, if you want to come against those things, then you need to vote. That's it's that's the first thing you can do. If you're not voting, don't claim to be pro-life. Don't claim to be against what they're teaching kids in schools. Don't claim to be any of those things, because in many ways, you know, we, we'll talk about this, I guess, another a little bit later about the, the number of Christians that do not vote. Uh, but if you don't vote, then you're not doing the most basic thing to turn the country around. Amen. Um, I, by the way, Matt Truella, that, he's a radical. He and I spoke at this pro-life event last Saturday in, in Appleton, Wisconsin. When you mentioned his name, I go, yeah, he, I love him and what he's doing. Boy, it's, it's an uphill battle. But you said this since you brought up election sermons. A lot of people do—Bill, uh, a lot of people have no idea what you mean and what it is. You said when we met—by the way, go, a little, little history here. About a month ago, uh, Reverend Bill Cook and I met— in Texas, in Dallas, at the America at the Crossroads uh, Pastors Conference. It was a 911 call to Patriot Pastors, and uh, we've had a lot of guests on from that a great event that stirred me up, and I know it stirred everyone up who was there, 350 pastors about. You said this in your presentation, Pastors, if you will not preach an election sermon, then you can't claim you are willing to preach the whole counsel of God. Now, would you please True. explain that, Bill, because some people understand the whole counsel of God, it, just what is in the pages of Scripture and without any application to how we live in our culture and our civic responsibility. Well, the whole counsel of God is, includes the verse where Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. He wasn't talking about salt being a flavoring uh, element that some sodium chloride that basically makes we use to make food taste better. He, it's not just we don't just exist to um, make the you know it's like things go better with Coke, things go better with Christians around. No, he, we are to be the, we are called to be the we take the curative impact of salt and, and apply it to our lives in this world. We are to be the curators of our society. Look, this, we, if you have a biblical worldview at all, you know there's two kinds of people in the world, the children of God, those that are born of God, and the children of the enemy, those that, are, that are, came from Adam who were part of the fall. And uh, they're called—what what, what does Paul call them? The children of disobedience. And so we know that if we don't, act, if we don't do the most basic thing politically as Christians, then we're surrendering our, surrendering our, our society and our government— to the children of disobedience. And everyone knows that it's the prince of the power of the air that works in the sons of disobedience. So if you think about it, not doing what we can to stop the decay of our culture is really a sin. We're really failing to fulfill Jesus' command to be salt and light. Mm. And, and that, again, that's the most basic thing. But there's a lot more that we need to do even beyond that, you know, just, just voting. So... Um, does that answer it? Yes. Answer your question? Yes, yes. Okay, you great. also, I want to just mention, um, last night you had a webinar with Charlie Kirk of Turning Point USA. We love that young man, and I pray that, that there will be that, that kind of person with that kind of passion for truth and knowledge and the ability to articulate it. We, mm-hmm. As a Christian, we, I just pray there are just, just that men and women like that in their late teens, early 20s, and even 30s will multiply in this country, because we've we've lost a lot of the youth. Your thoughts on that, and maybe uh, you, you had a, a conversation or a webinar with him. A webinar with him yesterday, and I and a few weeks before that, we had his pastor on, Rob McCoy in California. And um, but Rob is one of the pastors in California who's defying his government, mm-hmm. state government, and meeting, keeping his doors open. The interesting thing about, uh, and I don't mean to talk about Rob McCoy, but. As it turns out, that's where Charlie goes to church. <laughs> he goes to Rob McCoy's church. Interesting. And Rob, in defying the government, as it turns out, his church, which was maybe 400 on a good Sunday before COVID, is now 2,500. 
people are coming from everywhere to to be part of his service wow. because they want to they want to attend a church where the pastor is willing to preach and preach the truth and do uh, what the scriptures say. So wait a minute, Bill. Wait a minute. Let me um, let me interject that, here. That's that. So, but Charlie goes there. Charlie is a man of God. Okay, go, go ahead. And you know he he was was basically talking scripture yesterday in our call, talking about why, you know, the, the concerns we have today about the, the next generations, which really don't have a biblical worldview for the most part. They've never been taught those principles in the church. And so we're in a situation where the, the entire, the youngest generation, don't, you know, you say biblical worldview, they are marching uh, for Black Lives Matter, a socialist, Marxist, Maoist uh, organization, Antifa, the same thing. And uh, Charlie's doing amazing work among young people. So we were excited to have him on and to talk to pastors about how, how we can reach the next generation. And we have to reach the next generation. Yeah, the question is how, because so many of them have fallen away. I mean, we're talking about, let's just say, young people that are raised in a Christian home. Studies show, you know, it's much earlier now. By the time they get into high school, they have left the faith. Uh, 10, 20 years ago, it was after one year of college in a secular uh, university hostile toward Christianity, but now it's a lot sooner. Now studies have shown that young people start doubting their faith or their upbringing, the family's faith, Christianity. They start doubting that. In middle school, they start because they're being fed these lies about evolution and, and humanism and all these other things. And so Christian young people really have to be reached and strengthened at home. It starts at home first, doesn't it, Bill? Yes, it does. It really does. And, um, you know, parents are really the ones who are charged with, with to, they have primary responsibility for the education of their children in the ways of God. And so uh, by so many Christians, by sending their kids off to public schools, are really, are really subjecting their minds to a Marxist indoctrination. And it's it's destroying the next generation. And so it's imperative that pastors uh, maintain. I mean, sorry, not pastors, parents maintain oversight of their children's education and teach them at home the principles that are in the scriptures. They have to learn scripture. And um, there are many, many verses that support the idea, you know, in the book of Proverbs about about the importance of knowing the word of God. I know when I came to the Lord years ago, 1973, I began to read the Bible. It was like I was I was eating some delicacy. I was so hungry for the Word of God that I read it uh, almost incessantly. I had a little a little Gideon Bible with me. I took around everywhere I went, literally everywhere that I went, even my work, and I would read it in between things that I was doing. I read it so much that I began to memorize almost entire chapters of the Bible without even trying. Wow. I could quote large sections of Scripture because I had spent so much time in the Word of God. And that has served me well at a time where deception is on the rise. You know, uh, Paul wrote that in the last days, many shall fall away from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. And boy, we're seeing that today in, in, in spades in America, people falling away from the faith, people, Christians running around going Black Lives Matter and saying social justice, which is a Marxist term. Mm-hmm. And they don't even know what they're saying. They think they're doing good, but they're not. And um, so, you know, I would say that the people that are doing that probably didn't have uh, godly parents and didn't have a godly church to, to educate them growing up. Yeah, we've talked a lot about that on this podcast, and I hope that most people get this information out to their friends. We don't, we've only got a minute left, so I won't ask you another question because we have to go into a break. But when we come back, we should talk a little bit about that because that was one of the subjects of many of the messages that you and I heard down in Texas at the pastors' conference, mm-hmm. um, but you also said some things that I would love for you to expand on. And when we come back, one of the things you said was about the red-green alliance, about the two of the biggest threats coming against our nation: communism and Islam. Um, you really studied Islam, and we're really uh, trying to raise the awareness about that before you got into the Black Robe Regiment. But we'll talk about that when we come back. Also, how uh, pastors really need to engage before this election coming up. It's a crucial time in our history. Our guest today is Reverend Bill Cook, America's Black Robe Regiment in Virginia. 
More on Stand Up For The Truth when we come back. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest today, Reverend Bill Cook, founder and executive director of Black Robe Regiment of Virginia. And the mission, America's Black Robe Regiment seeks to establish regiments in every political jurisdiction in America to assert their own and the vital leadership and influence of the church in civil government and in civil society. Um, Bill, when I read that, I, I love that idea and that mission. But, man, it's a tall order because we've gone so far away from Christians and the church in America impacting government and society. And um, a lot of people, what would you say to a lot of people right now who are a little discouraged about the state of morality, or I should say the immorality in America and how um, it just doesn't seem like the Christian influence uh, can be revived, so to speak? Well, again, I, I think we have a commandment from God to to be salt and light, and salt in this, not this, not in the sense of the flavoring element, but salt in the curative sense. Curative. We have a society. I mm-hmm. believe I believe we can be we can turn this country around and be one of the most significant events in human history. But America is a, a unique country, and so um, we have a sacred duty to do that. Last year, about a year ago. I was I was standing in my office at home and was discouraged because it seemed like such a battle to get pastors to engage. Yes. And I remember telling the Lord, I am going to give up. I can't do this anymore. I'm not doing I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's a waste of time. But besides, who am I to think that I could somehow turn America around? One guy, I'm just one person. Uh, I thought I was being arrogant. And I really I really wasn't. And I, I've never done it for fame and or certainly not for fortune. And um, what I what I what the Lord spoke to me in that instant was the was a couple of verses out of the book of Hebrews that I wasn't it wasn't anywhere in my in my thinking. And it was the verse that says that through faith, they subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness. They put foreign armies to flight. They, uh, you know, they stopped the mouths of lion. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. And God showed me that there's nothing impossible for him. Yet there's not a lot of pastors that are willing to do what we're doing and to, and to say the things that we're saying. But we don't have to be everybody. I mean, the, the, the number of pastors that were involved in the revolution was significant by today's standard. Hmm. But it, it still wasn't all the pastors, and it still wasn't even all the people that, that took part in the American Revolution. So um, that's significant history. So it, it just takes a few people. A few leaders who fear nothing but God and hate nothing but sin are willing to do whatever Jesus asks them to do, including the mundane act of voting, mm-hmm. um, you know, and teaching their, their flocks that voting is not, it's not a civic duty. It's a sacred duty. It is a sacred calling to vote our biblical worldview when we go into the voting booth. Wow. And that's what we're teaching pastors. And beyond that, you know, th- uh, a, uh, you know, a group of pastors in every political just jurisdiction in America, a regiment, which in its original meaning was a governmental term that would begin to assert their influence and build an entire godly movement, movement toward a government of liberty, starting locally and working our way out to the national level. Mm. You know, if if churches were more involved, I guarantee you we wouldn't have the messes we have today where, where government is essentially totally disregarding what the people want, what the church wants. And we see it in COVID-19. Churches are being commanded not to not to meet. And yeah. they're obeying, dut- yes. dutifully obeying, actually. And they're, they're really disobeying a divine injunction. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. That is a divine commandment. Paul gave to the to the church, and I guarantee you, when God, when we get to heaven and we stand before Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and we tell Him, Lord, I didn't meet, I di- I disobeyed that word in Corinthians because uh, because the government told me to, and so God, Jesus isn't going to say, Well, I understand. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? By the way, we um. You told me before we got on the podcast that you used to work for the Department of Homeland Security, 
And so you have some insight on the religious system and political and economic system of Islam that I'm going to ask you about the Red-Green sure. Alliance, communism and Islam that you spoke about. It's coming against our country um, when I heard you down in Texas. But I want to get back to one point that I want to make sure we reinforce that we've try- been trying to do recent in recent months, that it was pastors that founded America, and it was the Amen. pastors who rallied their churches and congregations to get enough men and young men to fight in the American Revolution. Can you please, if you could, just sum up that important part of our history? Yes, indeed. And I'm sure Dan talked a little bit about this, but the American Revolution, the first shots in the Revolution were fired on the lawn of of Jonas Clark's church in Lexington. He was a parson in Lexington. And I and Dan probably mentioned him um, where, where he was pastoring in that area, and he had written all the significant state papers for Lexington and the regions beyond it. He was a man that understood government. He was part of the lo- local militia. And when Paul Revere rode into town that night, he didn't come in shouting, the British are coming, as, as has been uh, you know, taught. But he came in a little bit quietly, and he came to the home of Jonas Clark, to the parsonage. And he said, um, I've got word that the British are on their way to Lexington. They're marching to Lexington, and they have orders to, to seize the weapon stores and, and gunpowder and not to return without wow. the headless bodies of John Hancock and Sam Adams, who were staying with Clark that night. People, they resorted to him. Wow. And, he, you know, he, he would educate the founding fathers on different principles of, of government. And uh, one of the two men that was there with him that night turned to uh, Clark when, after, when they heard what Revere had to say. And they asked him, sir, will your people fight? And Clark said, I've prepared them for this very hour. That's a pastor talking. Wow. So will and your so, people fight? And he responded by saying, I've prepared them for this very hour. What a great statement. That's right. Isn't that great? And he, the next morning at 1 a.m. When the, when the militia began to assemble on Lexington Green, effectively the lawn of his church, at 1 a.m., and Clark went out at, at 2 a.m. to greet them and to encourage them. And I'm sure he prayed with them and spoke with them. And the next day, he watched the entire scene unfold from his, from his front parsonage door. He watched eight men of his flock fall dead and 10 of, 10 of them being wounded. And he didn't, he didn't run back into the church and start preaching separation of church and state. <laughs> that's good. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they would have been, that idea would have been denounced by clergy of that era, and they, they would have laughed at it. Yep. They would have no, no more thought of separation um, than they would have thought of, you know, the idea of two homosexual people being married. Well, think about it. We are, when we become a Christian, we identify with the person of Jesus Christ, and we give every part of our lives, a public and private, every part of our lives to God. So why would we think, we have come to think, some people in the church today, that we can give all these other areas of our lives, our, our, our heart, our, our, our learning, our Bible study, our, our uh, family, our job maybe, our finances, but not our political affiliation and civic duty when it comes to voting for elections that will will put men in power that will legislate their morality or legislate things that will affect our many areas of our lives. It is astounding to me. I don't know how People have come to that conclusion, Bill. What are your, what are your thoughts? I think I know what they are. Well, let me let me just go back to one of the things you asked me a minute ago sure. and make sure I, I respond to that. You asked me, you said, what was I doing working at, you mentioned DHS. Yes. I worked at DHS as a contractor for a few years, and I, I took a hiatus from pastoring in churches to train myself how to write software. It was during the dot-com era, and there was a lot of interest in people, you know, that people were being being paid wild sums of money, and I wanted to, to make a little bit extra income because, you know, I, don't, I lived on a pastor's salary for a long time, and I started doing that, and that's when I got concerned about Islam. And as I as I learned about Islam, I started to learn about Islam after 9/11. I you know I had I heard people walking up to microphones after 9/11 and saying Islam is a religion of peace and, um, you know these things, and I'm think I'm sitting there watching people say that, and I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, 
the people that just flew airplanes into American buildings were shouting Allahu Akbar. So what's wrong with this picture? I knew that it couldn't be a peaceful ideology. So I began to learn about it. I began to work with people like Frank Gaffney, John Guandolo, and Stephen Coughlin, who were deeply involved with it. And I realized that it was a deception. Hmm. And uh, and I became, started becoming very, very concerned because I knew what the goals of the Muslim Brotherhood in America was. I started learning those things. And it was about the time that I that I realized that one of the people that was working right beside me in the cubicle across the right across the, um, you know, the space between the cubicles. He was he was Muslim Brotherhood because he was a member of the Muslim Students Association. So I'm thinking I'm right here in a facility on the tarmac of National Airport, and there is a Muslim sitting beside me who believes in Islam so much that he was a member of the of the Muslim Brotherhood. Wow. And I started thinking, what's wrong with that? So I did a little more research into what was going on, and I found under the Obama administration that within the within the um, uh, Department of Homeland Security, what they call Countering Violent Extremism Working Group, there were five senior members of the Muslim Brotherhood who had been put on that committee. And, and essentially what they were doing was spreading the lie that Islam is a religion of peace. And um, it's really more a religion of war, if you understand wow. Islamic yes. doctrine. Yes. And so um, that got that's what kind of impelled me into doing the Black Robe Regiment. That was a major factor in that. Wow. That's one of the things that caused me to become so concerned about the direction of our country. And, um, you know, we can talk about the whole red-green axis. Yes. That's another thing that's, that's very significant right now. We're, we're, we're on the verge, you know, of losing America. This, is the most, this will be the most important election in our lifetime. It'll determine whether the church survives or whether we, we face extermination in America. Mm-hmm. And make no mistake, the red-green axis being the Islamic world and the communist ideology, the globalist world, are both have the church in their in their sights both have christians in their sights and if we think that somehow this revolution that we're seeing today it's really a maoist insurgency what we're seeing in that today is we're we're seeing the exact same spirit that that motivated mao and stalin yes we are. both killed tens of millions of people some by some estimates 100 million people in china and in Russia, I don't, I forget what the account is, but it's, it's, it's into the multiple millions of people. Um, you know, Adolf Hitler and killing six million Jews has nothing on Stalin or Mao. Exactly. Because, you know, they killed a lot more, probably because they had, there was nobody like America standing up against them. Well, and Margaret Sanger, too, will put her into that camp of being responsible Absolutely. for the lives yes. of millions of babies. Uh, being murdered, but I want to go back to this red-green axis. Um, it, it, it is an alliance, although they might not on the surface or in plain sight be working together, but globalist movements, these godless movements, are coming against the United States, coming against Trump, but the bottom line is they are antichrist. It's demonic at its core. Um, I just want to quote something you said and let you expand on it. You said this at, sure. in your message America at the Crossroads, which people can find at libertypastors.com. In fact, I'll put the link to uh, Bill Cook's message in the podcast post at standupforthetruth.com today. You said this, The situation in America is so dire, if the church doesn't rise up prior to this election, we're going to have genocide. Every single place where communism or Islam have gained the upper hand, there's been genocide. That's not an exaggeration, friends. Bill, please expand on that. Well, I said it because I honestly believe that's what's what's coming for us if the church fails in this, to do its duty in this in this election. And so, if you look, you have to understand, right? We, we this is part of the biblical worldview. We understand the spirit that's behind communism. Mm-hmm. It's it's demonic. Yes. Same thing with Islam. And so, um, we know that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. So we're seeing that in living technicolor today in Antifa and uh, Black Lives Matter. We we saw it in planes flying into a building, if you know, killing thousands of people. 
We saw it in China. We saw it in Russia. The history of both of these ideologies has left a, a path of dead human beings behind it, anyone who is not one of them. And so the church, even true evangelicals, people who really believe the Word of God and want to live by it and do what it says, are, are the principal target. We know. I've, I've talked to Stephen Coughlin about this, uh, Major Stephen Coughlin, who's an expert on Islam and, a, and an intelligence, senior intelligence analyst, actually a decorated intelligence analyst, that says that, I, I mentioned this to him, do you, I asked him, do you think that Christians are one of the main targets of these, these movements of Islam and of communism, the red-green Nazis? And he said, oh, it's the, it is the, he said, no, it's not, might be, it's the principal target of everything they're doing, to destroy you, every one of you. And so, as long as there is one person who believes the gospel and lives according to it in the world, then they are a target. And so right now, America is the last line of defense. And if we lose America, we're going to lose the church in America, I guarantee you. And uh, it will be genocide. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine um, shared this the other day. He said, the hate for righteousness in this day and age is so disproportionate, it's got to be demonic. And there's the spirit of Jesus Christ, and then there's the spirit of Antichrist or um, Satan. And so people have to remember, Christians have to remember, there's this spiritual dynamic going on. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but there are powers and principalities and rulers of the darkness. There's a war going on in the realm of the spirit. Part of that is materializing now. We're seeing it in our culture in the lawlessness and the calling evil good, as Isaiah 5.20 warns, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing moral relativism, which kind of drives this calling evil good. Um, we're with Will, Reverend Bill Cook. Um, we are going to talk more about this when we come back, the government and uh, shutting down and Amy Coney Barrett being nominated. want to get your take on that. Roe v. Wade, the a 2015 decision, Obergefell versus Hodges. But when a government becomes perverted, we are not obligated to unlimited submission. We're going to unpack that statement because we know parts of our government have fallen so far away from God. So when do we, when do we fight for our rights or civil disobedience? We've got so much more to discuss with Bill Cook when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Thanks so much, guys. Keep it right here. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Uh, today, we're so blessed to have Reverend Bill Cook here, founder and executive director of the Black Robe Regiment of Virginia and um, a clergy-led movement, by the way, Christian Minutemen. I like the way that's put. We don't hear Minutemen used today, but that's what the pastors were back then. Uh, they were part of the Minutemen. Hey, Bill, you said something when we were dur during the break about the um, uh, Islam and, and the communists and and the effectiveness of this globalist movement. Would you rephrase, uh, rephrase what you shared? I would love our listeners to hear that. Well, again, I, I'm, Stephen Coughlin is a friend of mine. He's a decorated intelligence officer who served the Joint Chiefs. He was involved in the uh, Middle East in the Middle East conflicts in terms of targeting. He's a brilliant, educated man. And he's also extremely knowledgeable of Islam. And I was talking to him one day and said, well, so, so let me ask you, Steve, do you think that um, Christians are one of the main targets of Islam? And he said, no, I think they are the principal target. They are the target that they, that's the thing they want to destroy more than anything else is the church in America. Hmm. And so what we found, what Steve said, is that the, that the Islamists, are executing the communist strategy better than the Marxists. Wow. In other words, the things that we're seeing today, I mean, they're involved in it. They're involved with Black Lives Matter. They are involved with mm -hmm. Antifa. And so their their role in the attempt to destroy America, this conspiracy, they're, they're very effective. They are being very effective. So uh, we I've read things from the Joint Chiefs that state, um, that Islam is a religion of peace. You know, they don't. They have never studied the ideology enough to know what it really says, wow. to understand what it really means. They just hear somebody say we're a religion of peace. They want to believe that so badly.
so many people want to believe it. I, I, I can understand the desire to believe that Islam is a religion of peace, but they are here for one thing, and that is conquest. Yes. They are here to destroy us. And they're patient. They are very patient. Um, I know I read some statistics about 10, 20 years ago, Bill, that uh, Muslims are having, I don't know what the average amount of children is, between four and eight uh, children, where Americans are having like 1.5, not that you can have a half a child, but uh, the, 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 the stats are eye-opening, and that's part of their agenda, they, they, the population control thing, right? They overtake a yes. population. Have you heard that? Yes. Yes, indeed. They subsume and they'll take entire regions. Look at Dearborn. You look at uh, places up north where they've built mosques and populated those areas. They buy up properties Minnesota, in, in various jurisdictions. And as the, the people that are living in the areas get tired of seeing burkas and other things, um, they just— you know, they just leave the area, and so then they, they come in even greater numbers and take up more property so that they reach a point where they have political power mm. to elect uh, representatives that are, that are um, you know, Muslims, and they, that's principally who they want to get into government. So yeah, um, that's what I, happens. I have a quote. I think I pulled this quote off of the Virginia Christian Alliance uh, website. Um, it says the Bible teaches that God established civil government for the express purpose of punishing evildoers and protecting the good that we may live peaceably in all godliness. When a government becomes perverted, we are not obliged to unlimited submission. There's a lot in those two sentences to unpack, Bill, and I'm wondering if you would just first comment on, because we're seeing lawlessness in our streets, that the government is in many cases allowing to go on. So could you share your thoughts on this idea of God establishing civil government and the government becoming perverted to the point of Christians not being obliged to unlimited submission? Yes, well, that's that was one of the sermons that was preached by a pastor named um, Wise in in New, in New England. He was considered the best preacher in all New England. He preached a sermon on uh, unlimited submission, coming against it. And he said he said in effect in that sermon, which was, which was reproduced and sent all over the colonies, came to be known as the morning gun of the revolution. He said that um, that that unlimited submission against a tyrant is damnable. Hmm. He, he said, don't think that you're going to, you're going to, um, you're going to, it's, it's really a, a, a mortal sin to submit to tyranny. And so again, we have many people doing that today in the church. Um, you know, they're submitting to tyranny on these governors. They're making these arbitrary decrees. Yes. Do not have the authority to do those things. And in fact, when a government, when a governor, a state governor, begins to issue decrees that cut contrary to the Constitution of the United States or the Constitution of a state, they really effectively vis- eviscerate their own authority. According to the Constitution, they break the covenant that they've made with the people of their state. They swore an oath um, to to the, a fealty to the Constitution and and the Constitution of their states. When they violate that, they eviscerate their own authority. It's what the Declaration calls pretend legislation. And so that's what we're submitting to today. These decrees are arbitrary. Um, They don't even have the authority to make those kind of decrees, but they're doing it, and everybody's dutifully obeying. Pretend? There really isn't even even really a compelling reason to do it. Pretend Um, legislation. Is that what you said? Pretend legislation? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So let me, let me yeah, ask you this, Bill. Not, they wouldn't even call it legislation. They'd call it acts. Right, right. The founders would have. So can the government lawfully force churches to close or dictate how a church service inside a church building is to be run or conducted? They don't have any authority to do that, in fact. And when they do that, when they act unlawfully, they're act, when they do that, they're acting unlawfully. They're breaking the covenant they have with the people. Hmm. And they're effectively, they, at, at that point, they cease to be the governor or the legitimate government of, of that state. 
And so churches need to stand up. We need to assert our God-given and constitutional rights in relation to our government. If we do not do it, then we effectively submit to tyranny, and that is a crime. That is a crime. It's a sin, actually. So we've got. I know it's a hard. It's a hard word. I know I'm talking yeah, pretty no, hard terms, but no, I think we need that's to hear where it. we're at today. Yes, it is. This is where we're at. We need to hear it. We need, we're adults. We can take it. And we need to start recognizing what's going on before it's too late. We've got about five minutes left, Bill, and I wanted to get your thoughts on Amy Coney Barrett, the um, conservative uh, constitutionalist that President Trump nominated for the Supreme Court. And also mentioned, talking about a perverted government, uh, one of the branches of government, the judicial branch, there's some judicial supremacy that uh, this, this, this power that they were never intended. Jefferson would have rolled over if he knew what kind of power the Supreme Court has. But anyway, 1973, Roe v. Wade, 2015, mm-hmm. uh, legalizing same-sex marriage, striking down over 30 state marriage bans. Well, Amy Coney Barrett could actually flip the courts and the, the conservative majority to a place where we haven't seen since the 1940s. Your thoughts? Well, I think she needs to be confirmed immediately, and I think that um, efforts to stop this should should be ignored um, because she is she's a great justice. She's a Christian. She's a believer. I believe she's she participates in a charismatic Catholic community and uh, where she lives, and she knows the Word of God. And I think that um, you know with the, with the church. This is the church's opportunity to rise up and and prove that it's pro life, mm, right? Yes, right to the right to the um, to your congressman and say, look, confirm this woman as a justice. You know, abortion, again, I, I'd say if, you know, we know that roughly 40 million evangelicals do not vote in elections. Hmm. And so we ask, we have to ask ourselves, who's responsible for abortion? Who is responsible for sodomy? Who's responsible for same-sex marriage? Who's, who's responsible for transgenderism? Well, I would say the 40 million Christians who don't vote are. And in, in a larger sense, the body of Christ that tolerates that. Wow. And so we're telling pastors, you have a sacred duty to tell, tell the members of your flock that you must vote. You have a sacred duty to vote. It's not a civic duty. It's a sacred duty. And if you don't do it, then you're, you're in sin. And I, I guarantee you, if 40 million evangelicals voted in this election, we'd overcome everything the Democrats are trying to do in terms of fraud, which we know is going to be in the election. We'd overcome all of it. Yes. And uh, there needs to be a massive turnout of Christians that we need to vote to a man in this election and not just vote, vote biblical values. Don't vote, you know, to support Black Lives Matter, any of that stuff. Vote primarily pro-life. Amen. Secondarily, maybe any other thing you want to vote for. By the way, um, Frederick Douglass was a one issue voter. Frederick, Frederick Douglass um, he voted for life, and he defended life. Um, and do you know uh, a little bit about Frederick Douglass? I'm sure you do. I don't know a lot about him. I know that I have some very good friends who are involved in the in the Fred, Frederick Douglass uh, Institute and that sort of thing. I know yeah. what they teach. I know that he was a godly man. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know he said some pretty profound things. I don't have any of his quotes right in front of me. But he <laughs> said some very profound things in relation to government. Uh, yes. You know, my good friend Dean, Dean Nelson, is he heads up uh, uh, the Frederick Douglass organization here in the country. Well, we are going to um, put some links to uh, biblical voting information, the Jonathan Project, and others in today's podcast posts, post. Uh, Bill Cook, your thoughts on, closing thoughts on um, how Judge Barrett once said this, and she was speaking to the graduating class of Notre Dame Law School. We're going to cover this more on Monday. But here she said that their fundamental purpose in life as they graduate and go out into the world is not to be a lawyer, but to know, love, and serve God. She said, always keep in mind that your legal career is but a means to an end, and that end is building the kingdom of God. I mean, you don't hear a lot of Catholics talk like this, but she's a dedicated Catholic. You said she's charismatic. I, I don't know a lot about her background other than that, but she's a definitely a constitutionalist, and I stand by those words to these graduates. Uh, your closing thoughts on her? 
Yes, I, I stand. I, I absolutely agree with those words, and I think she's right. And I think that we would be um, it would be a terrible thing if she didn't get confirmed immediately. She needs to be confirmed. She's exactly the person we need on the Supreme Court. And uh, I agree with her. I think that um, we're looking at uh, at the things that are happening today. And a lot of the things I mean, the Supreme Court has, has issued unlawful decrees about abortion, about sodomy. Those yes. things are those were not legitimate decrees. Those were unlawful acts on their part. I agree. And they're um, in direct contradiction to the Constitution. Amen. And we'll go on record to say once again that what God has declared immoral, man cannot make moral by any Correct. law, decision, uh, legislation. Uh, Bill Cook, thank you so much. Um, Executive Director of Black Robe Regiment of Virginia. How can people get in touch with you and find out more information about your work? Sure. Well, they can go to our website. It's being built right now. Uh, <laughs> being built up again. It's called blackroberegiment.us and they can contact me at revrev at blackroberegiment.us Love to hear from people. And, and I, David, I so appreciate being on your on your show today. Great show. And uh, I'd love to come back at some point. I think I think that you're doing a great work. And uh, it's been a joy and honor to be on here. Well, so praise God. You. Praise God, brother. It's a pleasure to be uh, fighting the good fight with men like you. And I thank you for your voice. It's hard. Sometimes we feel um, isolated. Sometimes we feel like there's not enough of us uh, trying to get this message out. But um, I think uh, God's got an army. He's got the, the, the silent majority, as some have referred to it as, and God willing, will encourage more Christians to actually vote biblically, and we'll uh, try to do what we can to really save this republic uh, one person Amen. at a time. So, Bill Cook, thank you so much. God bless you, brother. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. You too. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to let you know our guests the rest of— actually, I was going to say the rest of this week. It's Friday! So we'll let you know our guests for next week on Stand for the Truth. Don't go anywhere. Stand Up for the Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up for the Truth. Come on, you guys. I'm already seeing people on social media, lefties and, and God haters and, and Trump haters, celebrating him and Melania uh, testing positive for COVID-19. Come on. I think we're better than that. Uh, if you're a Christian, shame on you. But um, anyway, pray for our president. You're called to do that in the Bible, Christian, many places. Pray for our governing authorities, our leaders, and lift them up and pray for their healing. Um, so Monday, I get another uh, opportunity to rant. <laughs> there was a podcast we did a couple weeks ago at, called Fiorazzo on Fire. I don't know what got into me that day. I did have my coffee uh, but tomorrow, or Monday, we're going to talk about some of these uh, latest news headlines, articles, stories, and, and the division that's not only in the culture but the church. Dr. Andy Woods will be with us on Tuesday. Can't wait to catch up with him. He's been teaching so much about the global movement uh, coming against America and the church. You will hear from Israel Wayne uh, on Wednesday and Steve Smotherman. He's a pastor in New Mexico. Very liberal state. He's got a, an amazing testimony of what he's gone through in his church. Steve Smotherman uh, on Thursday. And then J.B. Hickson back with us on Friday to talk about God, the church, and COVID-19. So a packed show, packed schedule for the rest of the month. And I thank you for listening. God bless you. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter. <laughs>